I also would like to encourage you to attend the parenting classes that are going to start up this Wednesday night. Wednesdays are typically uh, pretty busy here. There's usually something going on on a Wednesday night, whether it's the midweek at the beginning of the month, the first Wednesday. And then classes are, uh, from here out, going to be running pretty pretty consistently. So uh, parenting class starting this Wednesday, not real extensive. Uh, we're only going to be spending three Wednesdays in a row. Um, talking about it. Uh, I'm going to be teaching the class, which is why it's it's geared towards parenting kids under 10, because I would I don't have children that are over 10, and so I think I would sound a bit uh, presumptuous if I was telling you all how to raise uh, teenagers. So that class on those three Wednesday nights um, that's running from 6 to 7.30 p.m., uh, we are going to talk about some f- foundational things from Scripture, and, and really the the, the, the movement of that class is going to be, uh, how do I, in obedience to God, how do I lead my children towards him? And how do I lead them toward Christ? So we'll be looking at God's word. What are the foundations that are given to us? And then we'll get really practical, really practical. I'm going to give a lot of resources. I'm going to give some things out for free. You know, I've uh, gifts, you know, partying gifts and things like that. And we'll shoot T-shirts, whatever. So um, if you if you've got little kids, unless you've just nailed it, <laughs> and you can make the, the class come on out, as well as if you're um, if you think at some point soon you might have kids, um, or it's your plan. I also think it'd be a really valuable class for you. Don't don't wait. Don't wait. It's just like married couples do premarital counseling. You should do pre-child counseling uh, so that you know and have an idea what it is that you, what your, what your plans and intentions are with your children. Don't, don't be like most of us who've, who've kind of figured it out as we've, as we've gone. So that's going to be running the next three Wednesdays. We'd like to know if you're coming, so sign up. Uh, you can do that here this morning if you see one of our hosts. You can also log on to the city, and you'll find the event there, and you can sign up. But also, as Curtis mentioned, we do have something else that's offered for um, we, we've got a lot of you who have uh, children who are who are older than that. And so on May 14th, which is actually a Tuesday, on May 14th, which is a Tuesday, um, starting at 6 o'clock, we're going to offer something to, to all of you. Uh, but it's for any of you. Uh, I'm going to go just because, again, I'm looking forward to my kids becoming teenagers. So it's for preteen, teenagers, even if your kids are like 19, 20, 21, or, you know, they're like 40, but you feel like they're still in adolescence. It might, it might be really helpful. It might be really helpful for you. And the way it's going to work is we're going to have uh, – some members here, uh, dear friends Craig and Tricia Lewis, uh, and the way it's going to be sort of formatted is it's going to be a panel, and they're going to be up here with their three boys who are somewhere, something like 20, 22, and, and 24. And you, you'll be able to ask them any questions you have, and, and they're going to share some things, and then hopefully it'll, it'll create an opportunity for some dialogue uh, amongst parents here. And it'll give you an opportunity to see, uh, to see other parents who are in, in the same place or stage of life that, that you are. So for those of that that applies to uh, think about that and if there's people who aren't here but that you know of please um, sp- spread word spread word to them they may not have necessarily uh, tuned into that and, and I forgot to push it which I meant to do in first hour so please uh, spread the word with that and then one other correction sorry Curtis uh, the, the baptism um, class is, is, is on Wednesday the 29th and I think he said Tuesday the 28th so Wednesday May 29th is our baptism class if you want to be baptized or interested in that in June here 
we do require that you attend that class so that you understand what it is that the baptism is. Um, but in addition, that class is also sort of the fourth week, optional week, if you will, of the parenting class, because one of the things we talk about specifically in that class is when to baptize children. So we go over that and we talk about what our understanding of Scripture is and try to help parents in determining um, what they should be looking for in their kids um, to determine whether or not they're, they're ready to be, to be baptized. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that I, I stressed that. Uh, we're going to take a rare break today. We're going to take a rare break from our uh, normal expositional preaching pattern. Typically when you come here, uh, you'll find that we're teaching through a book of the Bible and we're going one verse at a time. But I, I'd like to take a break from our expositional study of the book of Genesis. Rather, this morning, as you heard, I'll be preaching through Psalm 67. So if you've got a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there should be one in front of you somewhere. Uh, open the Bible up to Psalm 67. The title of my sermon today is A Call to Reach the Unreached. A Call to Reach the Unreached. Let me tell you what my hope is. It's a big hope. Let me tell you what my hope is through the preaching of the word today. My hope is that the preaching of this sermon will mark the beginning of an awakening within Veritas Church of one, the need for global missions, and two, our personal and corporate responsibility as a blessed church. As usual, we're, we're shooting for the moon. Here's, here's my hope. My hope is is that the preaching of this sermon will mark the beginning of an awakening within Veritas Church of, one, the need for global missions, that we would be as a church awakened to the need for global missions, and then two, and much more personally, our personal and corporate responsibility as a blessed church. So as usual, we're not looking to just pass information on through the preaching. Preaching is never just meant to be transferring of information. I'm not looking for information just go from my head to your head. Uh, the sites of preaching are always on the heart. There's a much deeper target that is always in view through the preaching of God's Word. So that's why when we talk about, through Psalm 67, global missions today, my prayer is that something would be stirred in in all of our hearts. That it would go past our, our, our brain, be processed. But that there would be something that you actually feel moved toward. A change that takes place within your soul. Now that, that change only, only happens here through, through God's work, God's Spirit, when He uses His Word. So that's what we're hoping for, is that hearts will be stirred today, specifically, this is my hope, specifically toward global missions. Some of you might ask the question, why now? We're going to be celebrating our fifth anniversary this July, and and we've never, I've never preached a sermon specifically on global missions. So you, you might wonder, why are we taking a break from our expositional study to look specifically at global missions? So briefly, the background is this. I have for several years had my own heart stirred toward global missions. So starting several years ago, God began to do a work in my heart. Right? You all have, have things that you're, you're passionate about and excited about, and maybe not everybody is passionate and excited about them. 
And, and I have those types of things, and my, my wife and, and me and my wife together have those types of things. Well, global missions is one of those areas where a few years ago I started to notice a, a difference within me in, in my heart toward this aspect of, of ministry. And so what I began to do several years ago, uh, some of you know this, what I began to do was to pray. And my specific prayer was that God would, would raise up heart stirred people within us who could help us as a church to to be responsive and sensitive to the call of global missions. So when God began to do that in my heart years ago, and I looked at my plate and said, you know, there's not there's not a lot of room here and I don't want some, you know, pilot thing here that, that takes off in our church and then crashes and burns because I've got too many balls in the air. So this has happened many times where we as elders will pray, okay, God, uh, fan into flame something in the hearts of our people so that there's actually a, a movement taking place that, that we, can, we can put before our, our people. So the timing of this sermon is, is because God has, I believe, answered that prayer. And so God is already moving and God is already working within our family in regards to global missions. So now what I want to do is I want to, through the preaching of God's word, do my best to awaken all of you who aren't already awakened to the need of global missions and what our personal and corporate responsibility as a church that is blessed almost beyond measure. So let me pray and we'll. We'll go for it. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for being here with us in a, in a special way. Uh, we know as believers we're always in your presence, that you have made your dwelling within us. We, we know that even non-believers who are here today are still always in your presence, God. You are omnipresent. You are everywhere all the time. You, you watch over all things. You see all things. But then, God, we know that as well, there's a very special way that you come and are with us by your Spirit when we gather together to worship you. God, and we know that you draw near to inhabit the praises of your people. We know that you love to hear us sing. And we know that you love to hear the preaching and the listening of your word. So God, help me to preach well and, and help my friends here to listen well. And my specific prayer today would be that you would use your word and that the Holy Spirit would, would wield it like a sword and that it would be thrust into each of our souls and that we would see realities that we haven't seen before or be awakened to realities that we need to be awakened to and you would create in us a, a desire that moves us to be the kind of Christians who want to see people of every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping you. We pray you do this and help me now. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I suppose a good place to start would be to define global missions. Some of you are thinking, I hope he does that because I don't know what he's talking about. So let me define global missions. I'll, I'll give a, a concise definition I received, and I'll say it a few times. Global missions is 
crossing cultural and language barriers to take the gospel to unreached people groups. So when I say global missions this morning, this is what I'm talking about. Global missions is crossing cultural and language barriers to take the gospel to unreached people groups. So culture and language creates barriers between people, right? Different cultures, different ways of living, different languages that are spoken. That creates barriers of communication. And so global missions says that we want to cross over those barriers or we want to break through those barriers. And this is why we want to break through those cultural and linguistic barriers. The whole purpose and intention is to cross over these barriers so that we can take the gospel to unreached people groups. So go to people groups where there are barriers of language and culture through which the gospel has not yet penetrated and penetrate with the gospel. That's basically what global missions is. When we say unreached people groups, when we say people group, what we mean is is ethno linguistic groups. In other words, groups that have their their own culture and their own language. And it's estimated that there's over 16,000 people groups in in the world today. Over 16,000 people groups. And every people group is either reached with the gospel or it's unreached with the gospel. Now, when we say that a people group is, is reached, we don't mean that everybody in that people group is a Christian. And when we say that a people group is unreached, we don't mean that nobody there is a Christian. Here's what we mean to be specific. If a people group is reached, that means that there's enough Christians there and enough churches there and enough Bible there and enough gospel there that the Christians and the church there is well enough equipped to evangelize that people group on their own. The barriers have already been crossed. And now it's up to the people who are on the ground in those people groups to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. A people group is unreached when there are not enough Christians and there are not enough churches and there are not enough Bibles. That that crossing of those barriers still needs to take place. It needs to take place so that there is a church and Christians there that can then take the gospel forth. So we as the United States of America, we are obviously, we are a reached nation. We do not need, though I've heard there are, we do not need global missionaries to come in and to bring the gospel to the United States of America. At least we shouldn't because we have enough Christians here and enough churches here that we should be able to finish the job ourselves. So some would say that that in order for a, a people group to be reached, you need at least, it may seem small to you, but you need at least 2% are Christian. In a people group, you need 2% Christians if you're going to expect that they now have what it takes to evangelize the people around them. So if you think of the New Testament, you think of the book of Acts, you see this taking place. You see that Paul was, for example, a global missionary. So what is Paul doing? Paul is, he's moving around a lot, isn't he? 
And what is Paul doing? He's crossing cultural and linguistic barriers. He's crossing those lines. He's becoming all things to all people. He's learning a culture. He's learning a language. And he's taking the gospel to them. And then what does he do while he's there? He trains up pastors. Timothy would be an example. God goes into modern day Turkey. He goes into Ephesus. He plants a church. And he gets some Christians there by sharing the gospel. And then he trains up Timothy. And then he says, bye-bye. And he leaves. And he goes and crosses another barrier. And then he raises up the church there. And then he crosses over another barrier. What was Paul doing? Paul is an example of one who is doing global missions. So again, global missions is crossing cultural and language barriers to take the gospel to unreached people groups. Now, David Platt made the following two points at the beginning of a sermon. He gave it the Together for the Gospel Conference in, in 2012. He made two points at the very beginning, and, and I would like to make the same points. There are two underlying premises that he had, and there are two underlying premises that, that I have. And, and here they are. Number one, local ministry and local mission is totally necessary. Local ministry and local mission is totally necessary. The reason I say that is because we have a tendency to, when something is emphasized, we have a tendency to feel like we're de-emphasizing everything else. So if we're going to talk about global missions, people want to say, well, what about local missions? So let me just say beforehand that local ministry and local missions are totally necessary. Right? It's like when you give a sermon that's talking about men, people say, what about the women? We're not de-emphasizing women. We just happen on that day to be preaching on God's view of men. Or we're preaching on the women. The men said, well, what about the men? We're preaching on global missions. Well, what about local missions? Preaching on local missions. What about global missions? So let me just say to disarm some of you right off the bat that local ministry and local missions are Totally necessary. So stressing the need, as I'm obviously doing, stressing the need for global ministry and global missions should not cause us to neglect local ministry and local missions. I mean, that's where ministry and mission is going to unfold most naturally and most consistently for all of you. Okay, in the places where you work, in the places where you live, in the places where you play. That is where ministry and mission is going to happen most naturally. But what we need to, I think, be reminded of and be, have kept in front of us is the global, the global need that we're looking at today. So that's the first premise. And the second one is this. That said, local ministry, local mission, totally necessary, and yet... Global missions is tragically neglected. And I do believe this. Global missions is tragically neglected. What we're talking about is neglected today. Let me give you some examples, some numbers so that you you see this. Take, for example, uh, the country of Yemen country of Yemen is just south of Saudi Arabia, and it is estimated that in just the northern part of Yemen, there are 8 million people. 
8 million people in the northern part of Yemen. And it's estimated that today there are 20 to 30 Christians. That's an unreached people. That's not enough. Northern Yemen, 8 million people. And it's estimated there are 20 to 30 Christians. We said this before, there are over 16,000 people group in the world today, and it is estimated that 6,500 of them are unreached. Over a third of the people groups in the world today are unreached. Now, remember what that means. That doesn't mean that, that they are lost. It doesn't just mean that these people groups are lost. They are unreached, which means they have no access to the gospel. 6,500 people groups today with no access to the gospel. That means no Bibles, no Christians, no churches, no ministry. That means that if, if you are born in this place that you will, if something doesn't change, you will be born, you will live a long life, and you will die, and you will never hear the name Jesus. That's what we're talking about. No Bibles, no Christians, no churches, no ministry, no gospel. And if you count the people that in those 6,500 unreached people groups... The number is somewhere between two and three and a half billion people. That means that right now, there are two to three and a half billion people right now who have zero opportunity to hear the gospel. Can't hear it, can't get it, can't find it. And the reason they have zero access to the gospel is because you connect the dots. Not enough global missions has taken place. The languages have not been crossed. The, the, the cultural barriers have not been crossed. They need Christians. They need the gospel. They need churches. They need a Bible translated into their language. So all of that begs the question, whose responsibility are they? This is where I hope to connect it to your heart. Whose responsibility are they? Another way of asking it, whose problem is this? Whose problem is this? Now, I believe the answer to the question, whose problem are they? I believe the answer to that question is, they are our problem. They are our responsibility. The reason they are our responsibility is because the task of global missions has been given to, by Jesus, the church. And we are the church. So it's our responsibility. Not a ministry's responsibility, not a missions organization responsibility, not a pastor's responsibility, not a deacon's responsibility, not a ministry leader's responsibility, a Christian's responsibility. Because as Christians, we are a part of the church. And Jesus told all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. 
Please turn to Psalm 67. Christians should be the most responsible people on earth. We should be the most responsible people. And there is much in the world that we need to take responsibility for. This is one aspect. But there is so much that we need to take responsibility for. And we can have a tendency, right? We can have a tendency to to whine and to moan and to complain or to mock at all the problems and all the issues in the world. But really what God calls us to do is to take responsibility. To do something about this. Now when you see this place taking I want you to see this taking place in Psalm 67. And when I read this, I'm going to read it with a targeted emphasis. Okay? Admittedly, this is not a, an emphasis that is spelled out in your Bible, but I want you to hear what I hear. I want you to hear God's heart and his will to see disciples everywhere. Everywhere. So listen, listen to how the psalmist prays. Verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you hear what I hear? Do you see a global mindset? Do you hear God's heart to see disciples anywhere and everywhere? Among all nations, all the peoples, the nations, all the peoples, all the ends of the earth. This is the prayer. That the gospel would be spread into every corner of this earth. And now I want you to see why the psalmist prays this way. What is this prayer? What is this prayer rooted in? Why does he pray this way? Why does he pray for for God to, to do this? You understand, all of our prayers should be rooted in something. All of our prayers should be confidently rooted in something. When you pray to God, it is not a Hail Mary. You should be asking God to do things. Many of the things you should be asking God to do are things that God has promised to do. It is not a Hail Mary. You know what a Hail Mary is. Okay, it's the end of the football game. One team's losing. 
Okay, he's about 50 yards away from the end zone. They don't get a touchdown. The game is over. They say hike. They send all their receivers down in the end zone. And the quarterback just chucks the ball up in the air and prays that someone on his team will catch it in the end zone and they'll win. And it never happens. Never happens. But he's just throwing up a prayer is how we use the word. Just a, a Hail Mary. Maybe this will happen. I doubt it. That is not how Christians are supposed to pray. And some of you pray like that. Your prayers are like these Hail Mary prayers. Well, I might as well pray for it. I've done everything else. That's messed up. Like your last resort. Well, I've done everything I can do. Maybe I should ask God to do something. That's a great idea. It's not a Hail Mary. What I want you to see is that the psalmist prays that, that, that God would, would take the good news and the gospel and the knowledge of Him over the face of the entire earth. And he prays that He would do it through believers, through His people, through the blessed ones. And he prays that way confidently because he knows that that was what God has promised to do. So listen to Genesis chapter 12. We haven't gotten there yet in our study of Genesis, but in Genesis chapter 12, God has a conversation with with Abraham, who's who's a member of of God's family, if you will. Remember in the beginning, God, starting with Adam, God God came down and God started making a covenant with with his people, started making promises to his people. Saying, I'm, I'm going to deal with these people in a very special way. They're going to be my family, Israel. And I'm going to pour out my grace. I'm going to pour out my mercy. I'm going to pour out my word on you. And I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. And the basis of this was covenant. God was not going to break this. This was sealed. This relationship with his people. Abraham was part of that family. Abraham was part of that family. So in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. And he tells him more about his will and his way, what God plans to do through this family. And here's what God said. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You hear what God is telling Abraham? He says, I'm going to do something with you, your family, and I'm going to do it for a reason. Right? He says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God reveals to Abraham what his will is and what his way is. This is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And the psalmist remembers God's words in Genesis 12. And that's why he prays the way that he prays. First, God reveals to Abraham what his will is. What is God going to do? He says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God tells Abraham, there will come a day, all families of the earth will be blessed. God is saying that his glory, his blessing, his fame is going to be spread into every corner of this earth. It is going to happen. It is only a matter of time. This is God's will. 
And then God tells Abraham the way that he's going to do it. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. So God says that my name is going to spread throughout this entire world and it's going to happen through my people. He says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And remember how the psalmist prayed? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So do you hear the psalmist banking his prayer on what God had told his ancestors in Genesis 12? God said, here's my deal. The gospel, the good news of who I am and what I've done is going to go out everywhere on this earth. And it's going to happen through my family. I'm going to bless you, my people, God says. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to turn around, and you're going to bless others by proclaiming my name to the nations. This is what he told Abraham he was going to do. And now centuries later, the psalmist remembers that promise, and he prays this way. Now let's connect that to us. Because God gave these promises to his people. And then God revealed his will and his way to Abraham. And then the psalmist prays this prayer. And now today, Christian, here you and I are as Christians. And these promises and these prayers are ours. We are God's people. In fact, more specifically, in Galatians chapter 3, God tells us that we are Abraham's children. Now, when you hear that you're Abraham's children, what you want to do is go back in the Bible and see everything that God told Abraham he was going to do through his children. This is one of the reasons we read our Old Testament. Oh, the Old Testament is just, it's antiquated, and I'm a New Testament Christian. What the... You have a heritage. And God has been speaking to his people and to your family since the very beginning. And so we look back. We hear in Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith. Do you have faith? Are you Christian? Some of you are. You have faith in Jesus. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's stated pretty clearly. Or verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed Along with Abraham. So I'm blessed along with Abraham. And I'm blessed for the same reasons. Blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. And then verse 29 of Galatians 3. And if you are Christ. Then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. So I I say this so that you. This doesn't become just some. Disjointed. Disconnected study. Of this prayer. By this Hebrew guy. In the middle of a desert. Thousands of years ago, but for you to see yourself, Christian, in Genesis chapter 12. That is you, Christian, in Genesis 12. God's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. And I'm going to do that so that you will turn around and bless others. Namely, you will cross these barriers into every nation and take the good news of who I am everywhere. And so see yourself, Christian, in Genesis 12. Receiving these promises, receiving this call. And Christian, here is how you pray in Psalm 67. 
here is how you pray in Psalm 67. This should be our prayer. John Piper said this about this psalm. The prayer is really meant to be read as a realization of the covenant with Abraham and as an expression of how that covenant would be fulfilled in us today through Jesus Christ. So, friends, here's what you have in the church. It it is the blessed blessing. This is who we are as the people of God. We are people who who have been blessed so that we may bless others. We are the blessed, blessing others. And the chief way, the chief way we bless anyone is to share with them the good news of who Jesus Christ is. You want people to have joy? You want people to be content? You want people to be satisfied? Of course you do. You love people. You want these things. And you know it will not happen completely and fully apart from Jesus Christ. So how do we bless them? We bless them with the gospel. Now read on in this psalm more specifically. Because according to this prayer, what is the psalmist praying for that God is doing? God's purpose is we see four things. God's purpose among the nations is to be known, is to be praised is to be enjoyed and is to be feared you see all of these this is god's purpose what does he want us busy doing well he wants people everywhere every people group including those 6500 people groups he wants them to know him to praise him to enjoy him and to fear him right and here's our issue today all nations do not know him all nations do not praise him All nations do not enjoy Him. All nations do not fear Him. Which means that simply that we have work to do. First, to be known. We see it there in verse 2. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Read through this psalm. Read how he prays for people. What does is, what is the psalmist want them to know? This can be overlooked, but he wants them to know the one true God. He wants them to know the one true God. Friends, you want people to know the one true God as opposed to many gods. There are not many gods. There is one true God. And there's made up gods. There's carved gods. There's idols. Okay, and there's the product of our imagination. But there's only one true God. And our desire is that that one true God would be known. I just came up against this last night with my kids. We were watching the Food Network together. Because the Myers family loves to watch the Food Network together. We're watching Chopped. Go ahead and mock. It's it's entertainment at its best. And we're watching Chopped. And uh, it's this competition. They're trying to make the best food. 
And uh, they're interviewing one of the guys after he's gave it everything he's got. Uh, and his response to the camera was, well, now I guess it's in the hands of the gods. And my boys look back at me like a like their dogs and a dog whistle just went off. <laughs> their heads are all cocked sideways. You know that look. They just haven't been they haven't been introduced to that yet. I gave this little brief conversation. That's kinda of funny, huh? That's kinda of silly, huh? There's one true God. And we want this one true God to be known. Not just that there's one true God though, I mean look at look at how he, he prays. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. So what does he want to be known? He wants God's grace to be known. He wants the way of salvation to be known, which we know is through Jesus Christ. God, we want you to be known and we want your grace and your way of salvation to be known. Look down at the second part of verse four. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. You judge the peoples with equity. The psalmist wants people to know that God is a just God, that there is a standard, that we are accountable to this one true God, and that there is a way of salvation. Not just that, not just one true God, His grace, His justice, but His sovereignty. The last part of verse 4, and you guide the nations upon the earth. God guides the nations. Many people don't even think that God governs their life, and He does. Not only does God govern individual lives, God governs entire nations. Daniel 4 tells us that God sets up kings and takes them down. Sure, you cast your vote in the ballot box. But it is God who appoints kings and takes them down. Proverbs 21.1, God says that the king's heart is like a river in the hands of God, and he directs it wherever he pleases. The psalmist knows this. So he prays that people would know that he is guiding the nations. People think they're independent. They think they're autonomous. But we are not. We are dependent. We are accountable to God. And it is the foolishness of man that says that there is no God, and I am accountable to no one. That is folly. It's folly. And it will not go well for us. So Psalmist wants God to be known. Second, to be praised. Verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then, doesn't he say it again in verse 5? The same thing. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So our prayer is, God, we don't just want people to know you. We want people to praise you. We want people to raise their hands to you. We want people to sing to you. We want people to worship you. Many of you came and you, there was genuine worship in your hearts this morning. And you sang the songs and it, it wasn't just lip service. It was, it was coming from your love and desire for God. And we want to see that all over the world. We want to see people everywhere praising God. Not only that, God's purpose is that he would be enjoyed. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Our heart, our desire, our prayer is that God would be known, that God would be praised, and that God would be enjoyed. That God would be enjoyed. 
It's okay to want people to be happy. That's gotten a bad rap in my years of ministry. No, real Christians don't care about happiness. Really? No. Obedience to God. When do we start disconnecting those? Do you want people to be happy? I'm not afraid to say that. I want people to be happy. I really do. I want my I want my my boys, my daughter, I want them to grow up and I want them to be happy. I want my neighbors to be happy. I am for happiness. I want the whole world to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. Okay, we just need to add something. Okay, this is this is the this is the Christian's perspective when when people come back to them and say, "So what? You don't you don't want me to be happy? You're going to deny me happiness? You're going to tell me that I can't live my life this way and you just want me to have this doom and gloom, unsatisfying life. And the response of a Christian to that is, no, I want you to be happy. I want you to have greater joy than you have now. I believe that the only way you're going to be happy and truly content and truly satisfied is if you turn to God. That's what we're saying. I want you to be happy. Absolutely. But I believe, and I know you, you're talking to people, right? I know you can't see this right now. And I know this sounds crazy. And I know that to live like this, you think that you would be abandoning who you are and all your passions and all your desires and you'd be confined to a life of misery. But I'm telling you, this is the way to go for this life and the life to come. There is happiness you, you haven't touched. And as C.S. Lewis said, right now you're just being far too easily pleased. You're coming up short. It can be way better. But you need to turn to Christ. We want people to be glad. We want the nations to be glad. And so we pray this way. And then finally, to be feared. Verse 7, he ends this prayer. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, if when you hear that verse, you, you picture God with some sort of machine gun and everybody hiding behind rocks, that's not what the psalmist is praying for. I hope my children are afraid of me. And that is not what I mean. I hope that my children will revere me as their father. And I hope they will trust me as their father. And I hope that when everything in them says something differently, that out of reverence for me, they will still obey. That's a good fear. That's a good fear. My daddy loves me. My daddy knows what's best for me. I trust him. And I fear what will happen if I go against his wisdom. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And this is godly fear. It's not godly fear that turns you away from God running from him. It's fear that drives you to him. It's fear that drives you to him. It's awe before God that makes you say, I want to obey anything and everything you tell me to do. And this is what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. Some of you, that's the test right there to tell you that you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because you just flat out have things you refuse to obey God on. And that's an indicator, friends, that you still haven't turned. 
our hope and our prayer for the nations is we, is we want God to be known. We want God to be praised. We want God to be enjoyed. We want God to be feared. In conclusion, let me repeat what my hope was at the beginning of this sermon. My hope was that the preaching of this sermon would mark the beginning of an awakening within our church family. Number one, the need for global missions. That you, as, as I have been, would be awakened to the need for cultural and linguistic barriers to be crossed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would feel that pressure. And then that we would take it to heart and, and see the, the personal and corporate responsibility that we have as a blessed church. Here's how it works in your Bible. Everyone's responsible. Everyone's held accountable. Everyone. No one escapes that. But the more blessed you are, the more responsible you are. That's just how it works. That's just, that's just theology 101. It's how God deals with His people. He blesses you because He loves you, no doubt about it. But He blesses you so that you will bless others. And if all of our blessing is terminating on us, then there's something wrong. There's something off. What we're saying, right, is, is the world exists. A, a very basic answer to why God created the world. The world exists so that all people everywhere would know, believe, Obey, enjoy, and proclaim Jesus Christ. This is why the world exists. The world exists so that all people everywhere would know, believe, obey, enjoy, and proclaim Jesus Christ. And the church exists so that all people everywhere would know, believe, obey, enjoy, and proclaim Jesus Christ. That is God's will and His way, His means is the church. It is Christians. So when we look at unreached people groups, when we hear numbers like 6,500 people groups, when we hear that there are two to three and a half billion people who will live their life if nothing changes without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ, that should mean something to us. That should pierce us somewhere. We can walk down out of here and go to any number of bookstores or Christian bookstores and we can find many Bibles translated into English. And there are people today who have no access to God's word in their language. And there's billions of them. So here we are and here they are. It's very simple. Not blessed. 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 The question we ask ourselves is blessed. Why? Why am I blessed? Why was I born here and not in Yemen? Why? Why has God given me all that he's given me? First answer, he loves you. Loves you. Number two, he wants you to do something with it. He wants you to do something with it. I'm loving you. So you can love others. I'm blessing you so that you can bless others. Friends, can you imagine what would happen? I mean, can you imagine what would happen 
If every church in this country just adopted one unreached people group and committed to pray for them and to send resources to them and to go to them. I'll tell you what, there's a lot more than 6,500 churches in this country. I mean, if you're like, this is exciting. Because we're not just, this, this, this vision is not just floating out here in space somewhere. This could be a reality in our lifetime. I mean, do you, do you just see the numbers and believe that? What if churches just began to go after unreached people groups and said, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to send resources to you. And we're going to send money to you. And we're going to send Bibles to you. And we're going to send Christians to you. And we're going to learn your language. And we're going to translate Scripture. And we're going to preach the Gospel. And we're going to train up pastors. What if every church began to do that? There will come a day when there are no longer 6,500 unreached people groups. And here's what you know. It is only a matter of time. This is God's will. There will come a day when there is zero unreached people groups. That will become a reality because God has said it will become a reality. The question for us is, what are we going to do to be engaged in his mission, not only locally, but globally? This sermon is timed in such a way that there are practical outlets in place for you. I hinted at that before. The timing of this sermon is now because God is already doing something within this church. God is already raising up people within this church. And and this sermon will not frustrate you because I can tell you right now practical ways you can today within your own church begin to do something with if there is passion stirring within you in regards to global missions, there is an outlet for that right now. So let me close by just running you through those. Okay, practically, here is what is available right now for you. The first thing that I would encourage you that you can do if God is stirring in your heart is to read a book. We love books. We're always telling you to read books. Read a book. We've got this one in our library right now. We're going to have other books as well. But this is called Finish the Mission. And if you want to understand global missions more, and if God is doing something in your soul, and you want to put kindling in your heart, this would be a great place to start. So we're making resources available to you. We have this in the library. We've got a new missions board that is right here on this wall, uh, right next to the, the ladies' restroom. And if you look at that board, you can, you can see who we've been praying for already as a church, and you can see marked out what's called the 1040 window. In the 90s, a guy identified this 1040 window as being the place on planet Earth where there is the most concentrated number of unreached people. So most of those billions are in the 1040 window between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. And you can go and visually see a box and know that that is where the gospel needs to go. We've got more resources that are coming um, as well as... uh, a page that's dedicated to this on our website that is being created as we speak. So read a book. Start to inform yourself. Take advantage of some of these resources. The second thing to let you know about is financial support. Here's the cool thing. 
praise God. If you give to Veritas, you've been giving to global missions. So you've been doing something, some of you, without even knowing it. Okay, lately we've been able to get involved in, in, in putting our money where our mouth is. We're actively involved as a church in supporting uh, an organization called To Every Tribe. We were recently able to purchase for the director of this organization a laptop computer that he desperately needed, and we were able to do that because of your giving to this church. We now support them on a monthly basis, sending money to them so that they can send people into these unreached people groups and so that they can train up pastors and leaders to carry out the mission abroad. So financial support. Number three, number three, it encourage you in time to go on a trip. We're going to start to encourage you and provide opportunities for you to go on a trip. Short-term mission trips are in the process of being planned. And right now we have two people who are going for a couple weeks to be missionaries to Nepal. Some of you know this. There are two basic ways that we're going to get behind global missions and every Christian must get behind global missions is to send or to go. The only two options. I mean, there's, there's barriers that need to be crossed, right? So people need to go. Resources need to go. So either we are going to go, whether it's temporary or long term, we're going to go or we're going to send. We're going to send people and send money and send prayers. But we're all going to be sending or going, Lord willing. So a very practical way that you can begin to serve the world globally right now is by supporting Ray and Sarah Latronica. I think it's on May 26th of this month. They're leaving to go to Nepal. They're not going on vacation. They're not going on vacation. They're going to work with an organization where they're going to be doing training leaders, occupational training for widows, helping in an orphanage and evangelism. If you're in the affirmed members group on the city, you you saw a message about this. And I would encourage you today, go back and read it again. Go back and read it again. Here's a couple that you could begin to encourage right now that you can begin to pray for right now. Now, I know you all pray for one another, but isn't it much different when you're told by someone that they're praying for you? Isn't that special? I know you all pray for me, but I don't always feel like you're all praying for me. But there's something something special for me that happens when you tell me, hey, I'm praying for you. I mean, if you mean it. Not just the Christian, like, I'll pray for you. Right. It's just your way of getting out of this conversation. (laughs) But if you really mean it, if you really mean it and you tell me I'll, I'll pray for you, that, that means a lot. If you tell me you just prayed for me or you're praying for me right now, that's a big deal. If you are praying for them, would you let them know? Would you let them know you're praying for them? They've also listed some resources that they've gotten from the organization there of things that, that, that they need. You can help out. You can send them with things like construction paper and soccer balls and basketballs. And they need some cash to buy a couple of guitars and a sewing machine. I mean, these are very practical ways that you can right now get involved in global missions and begin to pray for and support two of our own people who are going overseas to Nepal to take the gospel to unreached people. It's wonderful. Number four. Number four. Pray. Pray. Two ways that we're helping you have opportunity to do this. Number one, there is a a missions prayer team that meets here every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. And they're praying for unreached people groups. 
And they pick a people group. And they share what the needs are. And they pray for them. So if you want to begin Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock, praying. If there's people here you can pray with as well. And finally, so excited about this. You have these monthly missions prayer cards, which were available a couple weeks ago. You had them in your bulletin. You can expect one of these every month here at Veritas. And what this is, is, is every month there'll be a different people group that's going to be highlighted. And we're encouraging you, if you're a part of this church family, we're encouraging you, hey, let's be on the same page. And let's together pray for and support these people for this month. Okay, so if it's just you, you take this home. I just ask, make it a part of your devotional life. And begin to pray for this month of May. It's Nepal. And we're praying for them. Learn about them. And get on your knees for them. Next month, it'll be a a different people group. Okay, we're incorporating it into our ministry with, with the kids. We want our kids that are here. We want them knowing that what we're doing as a church and who we're praying for. And really excited about this. If you've got a family, take this home with your family. Take this home with your family. If you've got little ones, sit them down and say, this month, we're praying for Nepal. Let's learn about Nepal. Let's get them in our minds. Let's picture them. Let's imagine what they're going through. And let's see the kinds of scriptures that we have to, to bank on. And let's go to God and let's, let's lift them before him in prayer. Listen, these are very practical, simple ways that you and I can begin to carry out this mission that God has given us. My ultimate prayer is that the vision that I shared with you, the dream that I shared with you, become a reality here. Why can't we, in in the Lord's timing, why can't we adopt a people? Why can't we commit to those who are unreached? Why can't we become a church in the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years that sends people armed with the Holy Spirit and God's Word, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, to cross those barriers in hopes that the unreached will become reached, that the unsaved will become saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning that you've given us and thank you for a word to preach and, and a spirit by which to understand what you have for us. And God, I want to I want to pray specifically for those in the in the room this morning that you may plan to take to these unreached people groups. And God, if that is your calling on anyone here today, God, I pray that we would be a church and a people who do not become a distraction to that, but an encouragement. God, I pray that in our lifetime we would see more more people going to places where your gospel is not and passionately giving their lives to take the gospel. And God, it would seem that you are going to call many more to stay than to go. So Lord, I pray that we would become better missionaries here 
and that we would become a people who see beyond our cultural walls and, and, and grow in our understanding of the global need of missions and that we would all become people who, who are passionate about this, who are prayerful, who are sending money, who are sending resources, who are training people here, who are taking people on trips there. But God, in all humility, not knowing what you have in store specifically for this church, we do ask that you would be especially gracious to us in awakening us to this great need. We pray this in the great name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.